0: So, uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 24, and I'll read to verse 30. Truly I tell you, Jesus continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord.
1: that one? I'm not sure how. Well, I am talking about those verses, but that's not what he was supposed to. He read the right one, so. Well, Happy New Year, and uh, you probably noticed we've got our Christmas stuff up, so that, because uh, we finally have snow, so now we can say we have a white Christmas. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yesterday was what is called Epiphany, so it was kind of the end of the Christmas season, but we thought more light for another day It's still a good way to celebrate the the coming of Christ, and so hence we still have our Christmas stuff, but it goes well with the snow. Everything old is new again. Have you heard that expression? With the celebration of a new year, it feels like we should be looking forward to new things, right? But at the same time, not really anything changes from December 31st to January 1st. Besides, perhaps, the darkened hue of the bags under your eyes from the little sleep. Everything old is new again. I've heard that expression used for the way that fashion trends keep coming back. Uh, There's a new word that I just discovered to describe this. It's called grandpa core. Grandpa core. Essentially, if your grandparents used to wear it, it would be cool to wear right now. So... Anyway, so if any of you have held on to that stuff, um, or you're the person who used to wear that stuff, some of us will just keep wearing the same thing, and with any luck, every 10 to 20 years, we'll be in fashion again, at least for a season until we're irrelevant once more, but uh, we don't, I don't really care about those things, as you could probably tell. But the expression is more significant when we think about it beyond merely fashion trends. Everything old is new again. There will never be another day like today with its potential and its opportunities. Yet today, we see humanity acting no differently than it did yesterday. A hundred years ago, or even a thousand years ago. The modernity promise of progression we know was a failure. Nation against nation, brother against brother, oppression of the weakest by the strongest and the richest. And then when those who are oppressed are no longer oppressed, they become the oppressor. Violence and hopelessness, even in homes where there is love. A handful of extremists or colonizers, making life miserable for masses of people. But at the same time, also old And still, new are great acts of charity and sacrifice and beauty and forgiveness, reconciliation, creativity. As the author of the book Ecclesiastes in the Bible says, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, while this resonates with what my wife would call my pessimism, but what I would like to think of as realism, This, there is nothing new under the sun resonates well with me, but I actually don't think it is true. Well, at least that's my hope. Beginning in December and coming into this new year, we've been reflecting on the way that God is making all things new and the way that God has made things new throughout history And that we can find strength and hope from the way that God has worked in the past. Which uh, this wreath up here uh, is made up of a bunch of us on the first Sunday. We wrote down our uh, memories of God's goodness. And we rolled it up and tied it and put it on. That's what this wreath is a reminder of God's goodness in our community. And we, see, we saw how the new thing that God is doing in Jesus not only parallels, so runs alongside of God's mighty acts in the past, but it actually exceeds God's mighty acts of the past in ways that no one could have ever imagined. And the story that Martin read for us is an example of this. It is Jesus exceeding the things of the past, but in a way that people either couldn't understand or they simply didn't want to. Uh, let's uh, just pause for a moment to pray. Lord, as we look at, at Luke and what he tells us about Jesus, I ask God that you would um, <clears throat> use the, uh, the humanity of my uh, words, Lord, for your spirit to bloom something unexpected and even something I maybe didn't even intend, Lord, in, in people's hearts and minds, uh, that you would be glorified this morning. Now to give some uh, context to this passage of Scripture, um, as some of us know, this section of the Bible, uh, he read from a book called Luke, and so the section of the Bible that uh, is about Jesus, we call the New Testament, and this part of the Bible starts with what we call the Gospels. There are four different authors telling us about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And because they're written by four different people, each gospel gives us a different perspective on Jesus. Luke begins his gospel telling us about Jesus' birth. Then, when it is time for Jesus to start his ministry, Jesus is baptized by his cousin John. And then he spends 40 days in the wilderness fasting and being tempted by the devil. And in the gospel of Luke, this is all preparation for Jesus' ministry. And Jesus' ministry begins at the beginning of Luke 4. Or, not in Luke 4, verse 14. Jesus, this is Luke 4, verse 14 to 22. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Remember, he had just been in the wilderness. The Spirit came upon him in baptism, he went into the wilderness. Now he's out of the wilderness, returns to Galilee, which is a region um, <coughs> of Israel. He returns in the power of the Spirit, and news about Jesus spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, so is his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolls it, and he found the place where this is written. So Jesus is looking this up. It wasn't just like, this is the scripture reading for the day, and Jesus got stuck with it. Jesus looks for it, and he finds this place, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind." To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That last line is about something called the Jubilee year, which was never actually practiced in all of history. But the idea is that every 50 years, all debts would be forgiven. All slaves would be allowed to go free, and all debts were forgiven, and there's a big year of celebration. They never actually practiced this once that we know of in history, but this was the idea And Jesus is proclaiming that this is coming. Then Jesus rolls up the scroll. He gives it back to the attendant and sat down. This is the normal. This is what they do in a synagogue. They read the scripture standing up, and then they would sit down to teach. All the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him. And we're amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. So Jesus goes to his hometown where everyone knows him. So this is his kin, his family, his relatives, his neighbors. If you grew up in a small town, you know what this is like. Everyone here knows everyone. And Jesus shows up in their midst and he's blowing them away with these gracious words he is saying. He comes to his hometown, he reads a section of the prophet Isaiah, and he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This old message of Isaiah, which has been originally given to the Jews when they were in exile in Babylon, Jesus reads this message from from, uh, hundreds of years before, and he says, today. Here is an old thing becoming new. This is actually a new thing under the sun. Something that has never happened in history. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus reads. Now we've talked about this section a number of times. And we're going to again and again. As they are very important in our understanding of who Jesus is and why he came. It's kind of like Jesus' manifesto in the gospel of Luke. It's about how Jesus came to earth, to love and serve those who are marginalized, the sick, the poor, the outcasts, those who are considered impure by their religious elite, those who are so desperate and so depressed that there's no point, to them, there's no point in life. This is who Jesus comes for. And this is a major theme, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, but it's woven all through the Old Testament and in the Hebrew Bible. And Jesus takes all of these old promises and ways of being in the whole Old Testament and he makes them new. He reinterprets them under himself and in himself. This is a new thing under the sun. Quoting the the prophet Isaiah, by saying it is fulfilled today in their hearing, Jesus is identifying himself as the person who is anointed, the one that the Spirit of the Lord is upon. And at the end of Jesus' sermon, skipping ahead a few verses, in verse 28, Luke tells us, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out. The town, remember, this is his family, right? And his neighbors. The town, they drove him out of the town, they took him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked through the crowd and went on his way. As a side note, I love this magic trick, (laughs) right? This angry crowd, everyone's focused on Jesus, and they're about to throw him off a cliff, and then he just walks past them and leaves. Now, I can walk through a crowd unnoticed, but that's because of my unspectacular personality. I don't know how Jesus (laughs) did it, right? He was the center of attention, I think what we're supposed to take away from that is that while people want to kill him, this isn't actually his time quite yet. Anyways, back to the point. I think something that is worth noting is that Jesus is identifying himself as the one Isaiah is talking about. But that isn't actually what makes the crowd angry. Oftentimes, this verse is used to say Jesus, that here in this verse, Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. And he does that all over the place. But I don't think he actually is doing that here. He, I don't think here he's, he's proclaiming himself as the anointed Savior King, the Christ. Now, we as Christians see this as a prophecy of the Messiah. and it's, but, it, it's, but the Jews in the first century didn't think this was about the Messiah. The Jews today still don't think this verse has anything to do with the Messiah. That wasn't part of their understanding. This is a new thing under the sun. Jesus is making... In in reading this, he actually is making this about the Messiah. But when they heard it, they didn't think, oh, he's he's saying he's the Messiah. They didn't think that at all. So they weren't actually mad about him saying, hey, this is happening today. In fact, at this point, they're really impressed with Jesus, with what he's saying. They're impressed and really annoyed, as we see in verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Wow, we're in, the awe, we're in awe of this guy. What he's saying is amazing and gracious. But at the same time, who does he think he is? Isn't that just the kid that we all watch grow up in a day laborer's family like the rest of us? What makes him so special? Where, where is this even coming from? Surprised and amazed, they speak well of Jesus. And if Jesus had just stopped there, he probably could have left the synagogue and people would come up to him afterwards and say, Oh, that was a great sermon, Rabbi. But as we know, Jesus isn't interested in getting a pat on the back. He's not, the author on, he's not an author on a book tour. He's speaking truth right into the heart of his listeners, whether they're ready to hear it or not. And so they're still, they're still cool with what he's saying. And now he goes on, as he's kind of antagonizing them, they're fine. So he's like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to ruffle some feathers. He says to them in verse 23, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. You will tell me, do here in your hometown what, you have, I, you, what we have heard you do in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Jesus knows these really people well. Don't forget, he's a son of the town, but he's also the son of God. <laughs> and he knows what they're thinking. He quotes these two common expressions they were common expressions of the day to them, kind of like, you know, we would, you know, um, <coughs> sorry. I had that cough, that cold that everyone had two weeks ago, and I still can't talk for more than five minutes. I'm seeing lots of nods, lots of people got that. It's kind of like, you know, English expressions like, oh, like you let the cat out of the bag, right? It sounds good, it's helpful, but actually isn't, it's just a a saying of the day. These two, physician heal yourself and no prophet is except in his hometown, they're not biblical, they're just sayings that were said in the day, probably for about 400 years going back to, well, it doesn't really matter, we don't really know, but they're at least 400 years old, these sayings. Jesus knows in their hearts they want him to prove himself by performing miracles, He also knows the history of people rejecting the prophets because they didn't like what the prophets were saying. And so he quotes this saying, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And Jesus continues, verse 24. Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three years, three and a half years. And there was a severe famine throughout the land. And here's part of this point. There were widows in Israel, yet Elijah wasn't sent to them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet none of them were cleansed. The prophet wasn't sent to them, only Naaman the Syrian, a person outside of Israel. This is what made his hometown so furious they wanted to throw him off a cliff to, and kill him. Why were they so offended? Well, they would have been very familiar with these stories that Jesus is talking about. These are two of the greatest Israelite prophets ever to live, Elijah and Elisha. And the Jews were still expecting Elisha, Elijah to come back. This is like one of their like, main guys. <clears throat> and while these two stories are different from one another... Two different prophets. One is in a famine. One is dealing with uh, leprosy. One is a widow and the other is a man. But what they do have in common is that both the widow and the man who are healed are not Israelites. In both of these stories, the prophets actually leave Israel, the promised land of God's chosen people. And they leave these hurting and sick and starving Israelites. And they go to a different land. To a foreign country, and they help non-Jews. Now, when it's just a story in the middle of it, the Jews don't mind. But by pulling it out and highlighting it, when Jesus reads the prophet Isaiah about bringing good news to those who are poor, who are oppressed, who are captives, everyone sitting in that synagogue who is Jewish would have understood that this is about them. As Jews under Roman rule, they were the poor. They were the oppressed and the captives. It was the Jews who needed to be released. And so, this promise of Isaiah was to bring them freedom. They are the oppressed to whom God shows favor, not non Jews. And this is true, they were the oppressed. But they would have heard this through a nationalistic frame of mind. The Jews alone are God's people. It is this nation that God is going to release. This nation is the brokenhearted and the oppressed, the ones that God favors. And so God is going to send the prophets to them. But instead, Jesus says, God didn't send Elijah and Elisha to the Israelites to be fed and cleansed. They were sent by God to Sidon and Syria. The crowds were amazed by Jesus' speaking until he spoke against their nationalistic pride, thinking they were the center of God's plans. They were so insular and nationalistic, and we can't blame them, really. If you read the Old Testament, it's pretty fair for them to have come to this conclusion. Let's be honest. But it wasn't until he challenged their nationalism and their pride, thinking they were center of God's lies, that they got upset. They were insular in their thinking that the idea that there might be other poor, oppressed, captive people that God was going to come and bring freedom to and bring jubilation to, that was too much for them to handle. They were happy to hear about God's bringing justice to their own kind and showing them favor, but the mere suggestion that God might show favor to people outside of their nation and bypass them to bring justice to people they felt were unworthy or below them. But everything old is new again. Pride nationalism, racism, religious elitism, feeling like you're on higher moral ground, jealousy and fury when others think you are less, when others who you think are less than you are shown great favor, when others receive justice and affirmation. It's the cyclical nature of humanity and history. But everything old is new again. God's call for all nations to be blessed is throughout the Hebrew Scriptures And are not only strengthened in Jesus, but then are exceeded in Jesus in a way that the Jews never could have anticipated. As who are God's chosen people expands beyond one ethnic nation to all peoples, languages, ethnicities, and cultures. The people in Jesus' hometown had a violent reaction to the suggestion that God's anointing for freedom from oppression went beyond their own nation. It wasn't in their worldview to accept that God not only called them but that God would go to o- outsiders and foreigners and might even bypass them on the way. To see that God could call them beloved these others to call them as Israelites beloved children and call others beloved children as well call others chosen people. This this they were so much they were willing to kill one of their own people for saying such a thing. There's a musician from the east coast of Canada named Rose Cousins. She has this line in a song that says, I know I'm not just any, but I know I'm one of many. Now, in the context of the song, she's singing about a partner who's been unfaithful uh, with other people. But actually, taking this quote completely out of context, (laughs) I think it speaks to the, I mean, we do that with the Bible, right? So I can do it with the Christian song. (laughs) Just kidding. But anyway. I think this line speaks to the limits of our humanness in welcoming others as beloved, even as we are beloved. Human love is always exclusive, right? Whenever you choose one friend group, you're choosing them over the potential of another. Whenever you spend time with one person you're really close to, you naturally are going to spend less time with other people that you are less close to. Human love is exclusive, We have limited time and capacity. Even if we could be everywhere at once, our capacity is love for limited. If we are choosing one full on, we cannot choose others in the same way. We just don't have the capacity for it. As humans, for us to be special means that someone else is less special. For us to be favored means someone else isn't favored. I mean, I used to feel this a lot when I was younger. There were three of us who were best friends for all of my childhood, high school, and even college years. And it was great when we were all together, but sometimes there'd be a period of time when the other two hung out a lot together. And I would hear about these adventures, and I would feel insecure, I would feel jealousy, rejection, and even anger would burn inside me. Now, I never wanted to throw them off a cliff, but it would hurt. As humans, we don't want to be just one of many. We want to be special as individuals, but also we want our tribes to be special. We want our church to be special. We want our family to be special. We want our group to be special. We want anyone we associate, any groups we associate, we want them to be special, stand out. We want our nation to be special. But God isn't like this. God, unlike us, can and does have infinite, unending and unfailing love for all. God can show favor to different people in different groups without it meaning that someone else is less special. And this is why I like that line. I know I'm not just any, but I know I'm one of many. I think when you switch the order of those, now I'm really twisting with Rose Cousins. Don't tell her, she'll be mad at me. But if you switch the order, I know I'm one of many. I know I'm one of many, but I know that I'm not just any. It is so important That you understand how deeply loved you are by God. You are not just any to God. You are special. You are loved. You, we need this to sink deep into the depths of our being. You are not just any. You are special. But We also need to, we need to accept our uniqueness, our specialness, our belovedness in God's eyes. But it isn't enough to just know that we are loved. We need to be able to say, I'm not just any, but I know that I am one of many. We need to hear God's love spoken over even those, perhaps especially those, that we think are less worthy, that are outsiders, that are impure. Now, whether it's simply because we have an unknown ignorance about them, or if it's because we have a closed-minded judgment about them, we need to understand that God's love and welcome is far more expansive than we think, believe, or can fathom. And we need to celebrate that, not become insecure or insolent, insular or angry or selfishly protective. We need to find ways to celebrate that. If we don't celebrate that and if we just become angry, Jesus may go past us to go to them. Now, I don't think Jesus is actually going to pass us, but just metaphorically in this picture, Jesus is like, you guys are going to reject this idea of others coming in. Well, God did it in the past. He went past you to go bring someone else. Jesus walks through the crowd, the angry crowd unnoticed. We don't want to be the ones who are so closed in our thinking so jealous in our desire to be God's own chosen people that we end up being the ones chasing Jesus out of town. We don't want to be the ones who are so caught up in our pride of being God's chosen people, so afraid or closed-minded about people who are different than us that we lack prophetic imagination to see that not everything simply repeats again and again. But God stepped into the midst of history in Jesus A new thing that would forever change our reason for hope. And even today, Jesus continues to expand the borders of who God calls beloved. Even today, the idea of this will make some people so angry that they want to throw Jesus off a cliff. But Jesus simply passes through the angry crowds. Sometimes they don't even notice when Jesus has left the building. We don't want to be people that Jesus has to pass through to get to those that he calls beloved. We don't want to be people who don't notice that he's left because our hearts were so hardened and closed to others. Jesus passed through the angry crowds to continue expanding his kingdom and calling outsiders to himself. So in this new year, let us not be the closed-minded, nationalistic, hard-hearted people who'd rather throw Jesus off a cliff than celebrate God's favor for those who are outside of our circle. Let us have the prophetic imagination to celebrate God's expansive love as people we never would have imagined are called God's children and brought into our family to actively participate in Jesus' work in the world, bringing good news to the poor, to all who are distressed and in trouble, breaking bonds of oppression, forgiving debts, and proclaiming God's favor for all people. And even when it seems like the same things will just keep happening again and again, let's have the hope that in this new year that Jesus, the light of the world, will continue to break into darkness As we wait in humble anticipation for God to one day make all things new. Let's pray. Jesus, there is so much brokenness in our world, so much we don't understand. I think of the horrors that faith went through in losing a daughter to suicide. And losing a grandson to an angry husband who needs someone to blame. There is so much pain and so much brokenness. And it does seem impossible that anything can change with how broken and um, just human hearts we see continuing in wars that... After World War II, people thought things like this wouldn't happen again. And we were so wrong. Yet at the same time, Jesus, you broke into history. You made something new under the sun that had never been before. Your presence among us. The gift of your spirit that continues with us today. Jesus, we ask that you would help us to look to you. To look to your Astounding uh, and unbelievable grace and love and welcome. then when we are quick to judge, to shut someone out, to reject someone, to say that they are beyond you, that you would change us, that you'd change us, to see, that we would not be so hard-hearted we'd be willing to throw you and your messengers off of cliffs. but that you would soften our hearts and open us to the beauty and the love and the grace and the welcome that you desire us to be and to see in the world. Amen.